When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to episode 95 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history. For to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is in some way unformidable. This was very easy for me. Last week we did Lenny Randall. This week we're doing Lenny Harris. Uh, what else to say other than he was a fun mitt to root for in two separate go-rounds? Uh, Lenny is just very likable. Maybe Lenny, not Lenny Dykstra, but... He was damn good, you must admit. But without any further ado, Leonard Anthony Harris was born October 28, 1964, in Miami, Florida. He was drafted by the Cincinnati Reds in the fifth round of the 1983 MLB June Amateur Draft out of Jackson High School in Miami. Harris would go on to a long 18-year Major League career. Uh, there are two terms that are almost unavoidable in descriptions of Harris, I would think. Um, those most aptly or frequently applied to him would be well-traveled and versatile, at least from the baseball cliché department. Uh, Harris played for eight franchises, returning to two of them for a second go-round, including our New York Mets. And in his 18-year career, he appeared in 485 games at third base, 300 at second base, 87 at first, 52 at shortstop, 
and 321 in the outfield, including three in center field. Uh, he even DH'd a few times, despite the fact he never left the National League, you know, in interleague play. And he even hurled one scoreless inning as a pitcher. So the only position he never took on the field or was penciled in at in a lineup spot was catcher. And this is to say nothing of the fact that if you asked Harris's position, most people, and especially Met fans, would probably respond, pinch hitter. Which, especially in the pre-NLDH era, uh, probably made sense that despite the fact he was well-traveled, he spent his whole career in the National League, as it was definitely more likely that an NL team could carry someone whose primary role was pinch hitter, as Harris's was for at least the last half to two-thirds of his career. At any rate, once upon a time, Harris was an infield prospect with speed. He had as many as 51 stolen bases in one season, uh, and even hit as many as 10 homers one year. He'd consistently hit between 250 and 285 in the minors. He was a more of a contact hitter, but uh, he could slash. Did not walk or strike out a lot in the minors or in the majors. Harris stayed in the Reds organization, although looking at his minor league numbers, I, I do have a question for my listeners out there, if anyone knows. Lenny Harris spent a brief amount of time in Glens Falls in the Tigers organization in AA in 1988, which I find perplexing. He's not listed in any transaction sheets, didn't seem like he left the Reds organization, and I'm just personally fascinated by this because I used to go to minor league games in Glens Falls um, all the time, first for the White Sox organization, then the Tigers org. remember seeing John Smoltz pitch there. He was known to be a huge prospect before he was traded for Doyle Alexander. So this does raise the possibility I saw Lenny Harris play in the minor leagues, but I don't understand what he would have been doing in the Tigers organization. Uh, as far as I can tell, the Reds never moved him, and in fact, late in the 1988 season, uh, which was his last in the minors in AA and AAA, uh, AAA with the Reds' Nashville team, uh, was his last really in the minors, and he would in fact make his Major League debut at the age of 23 as a September call-up with the Cincinnati Reds. Harris made his Major League debut on September 7th of 1988 as a pinch runner, uh, fittingly, I guess, for someone who stole 51 bases that year in the minors in the ninth inning of a one nothing Reds loss to the Padres. He would get his first career start the next day, playing at third base and going 0 for 4. Before he would record his first career hit, he would record his first career stolen base and run scored, as on September 15th he would once again pinch run in the ninth inning and promptly steal second and score an insurance run on an error took until September 19th for Harris to get his first career hit, going two for two. Uh, his first major league hit was an infield single off of Ed Whitson. Uh, he then in the third lined a single up the middle for his second career hit and first major league RBI in the third inning of that game on 9-19-88. Harris would get 43 at-bats down the stretch, uh, mostly playing second and third, and in that small sample size would hit a robust 372. He would get starts at second, third, and short for the Reds in 1989, but in midseason would get traded to the Dodgers, and it seemed like a rare kind of youth-for-youth challenge trade with Harris and Cal Daniels going from the Reds to the Dodgers for Mariano Duncan and pitcher Tim Leary. I'd guess Leary was a little more into his career by then, but I think Duncan was young as well. 
Harris would work outfield into his repertoire in 1989 with the Dodgers and would become a, a semi-regular Swiss Army knife for L.A. from 89 to 93, appearing in 107 to 145 games per year. Uh, aside from 1991, when he was their primary third baseman, he otherwise pretty much played all over as a utility infielder, utility player, obviously played the outfield as well, and he averaged... Uh, from 25 to 50 pinch hit appearances each season. Harris was a favorite of Dodger manager Tommy Lasorda's, but he knew he was in trouble for everyday work, as Lasorda would often refer to him as his ace in the hole off the bench. But perhaps more relevant for a Mets podcast is that Harris was also a favorite of young young Dodger catcher Mike Piazza. Uh, Harris uh, stood up for the young catcher against some veteran hazing and became a bit of a sounding board and a friend for the uh, occasionally laconic young rookie. So an interview with uh, Harris with Howie Rose after he had retired, where he talked about how he would sometimes try to or need to fire up uh, Piazza, you know, who could sometimes be a little laid back. Friend and clubhouse leader or no, though, after the 1993 season, Harris was a free agent Uh, And he left Los Angeles to sign back with his original team, the Cincinnati Reds, where he would spend uh, from 1994 through 1998 back in Cincinnati. At this point in his career, Harris was already firmly entrenched in a bench utility player role. Um, He would have the first of five career postseason appearances. Um, Teams Harris were on made the postseason five times. Uh, the first time was in 95 with Cincinnati, uh, where he would go two for two with a stolen base against the Braves as the Reds fell to Atlanta in the NLCS that year. 1998 would sadly not be one of the years Harris enjoyed postseason play. Just missing a chance for another postseason tour as the struggling Reds sent him to the Mets on July 3rd, 1998, for John Hudek for Tour 1 with the Mets. Speaking of unformidable, perhaps that's much more the spirit of the podcast. I am embarrassed to say I do not remember John Hudek being on the Mets. I mean, I remember him. I remember him being the Astros' closer, getting supplanted by Billy Wagner, and I would have guessed he just, like, never pitched again, but certainly not for the Mets. I'm going to have to uh, review the memory banks for that one. The Mets uh, famously and sadly came up short in the wild card chase in 1998, uh, but in my opinion, not because of Harris, who hit a career-high six home runs that year, or a career-high tying, I believe, uh, all in this. He had none before that, all in his 75 games and 168 Mets plate appearances. Much like Tommy Lasorda, the involved, aggressive, stri- strategizing, Bobby Valentine seemed to love having Harris on the roster, love being able to employ him all over the field. Seemed like a perfect fit for Valentine's managerial style and uh, for a team that was a little, uh, you know, just being fashioned into a good team. There's still just a lot of you know, Piazza and Olerud and Alfonso, but not quite the 99 offensive juggernaut yet. Uh, there are just a lot of uh, places for Harris to plug and play or pinch it. He started games at first, second, third, left and right in his time with the Mets, as well as, of course, doing a lot of pinch hitting. 
on August 4th of 1998, the Mets and Giants met at Shea. The two teams were tightly involved in the wildcard chase that year, and Harris earned his sole, uh, as far as I could see, his sole walk-off moment as a New York Met. Uh, not as dramatic as one would like. It was a walk-off walk, a game in which the Giants tied the game with two runs in the top of the ninth uh, off of John Franco. Uh, Barry Bonds delivering a line drive single to tie the game at six in the top of the ninth. The Mets loaded the bases on two infield singles by Tony Phillips and, believe it or not, John Olerud, uh around a walk to Edgardo Alfonso. Uh, Mike Piazza and Brian McRae both hit ground balls, and the Giants got force outs at home plate to get two outs. Looked like they'd wriggle out of it. Uh, but Harris drew the bases loaded walk off of Jose Mesa to end the game, bringing the Mets to 59 and 51, and the Giants to 61 and 52 at the end of the day. It was the Mets and the Giants and the Cubs battling out for the wild card that year. A couple of weeks later, it was not a walk off home run, but Harris got the start in right field in the second game of a doubleheader at Shea, Mets versus the Rockies. Uh, he, the Mets were hit three in the bottom of the eighth when Harris hit a huge two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth to give the Mets a 6-3 lead they would hold. I remember being at that game uh, with the sweep. The Mets pulled even with the Cubs in the wildcard chase, I believe, and just, uh, you know, 98 was the year that saw Piazza come to the Mets. Uh, all of a sudden, Shea was rocking, and it felt like the first legitimate exciting times at Shea since, you know, 1990 or so. Even so, Lenny Harris hit a homer in another country that year. Uh, went to Montreal for a series uh, the Mets played there in mid-September. It was, uh, again, I was just so excited that the Mets were in a pennant race, or a wild card chase, as it were. Uh, I remember in <clears throat> one game on September 12, 1998, Harris went 3-for-4 with a homer in Stade Olympique. In the game, the Mets lost 5-3. to three. Down 5-3 in the ninth, Harris singled off of Ugi Urbina and stole second. And, I don't know, the numbers might not all back it up. He, he did have six homers, as I said, in a short stint with the Mets. But he did only hit 232 in uh, 98 with the Mets. But just seemed like he always had a big hit or a clutch play. And, I don't know, the team felt young and not quite ready, you know, for prime time, stumbled down the stretch and came up short, famously losing their last five games, including three to the Braves that were utterly meaningless to the division champions. Um, but Harris just always seemed calm and clutch, and I was very happy when the Mets brought him back uh, a year or so later. After the 98 season, he would sign as a free agent with the Rockies, but once again, he would be a trade deadline acquisition, this time ending up in Arizona, right before the waiver deadline of August 31st, and fatefully facing the New York Mets in the playoffs that year. Harris endeared himself immediately to his new manager, Buck Showalter, who asked Harris uh, how he felt about being close to the single-season pinch hit record. Uh, Harris responded he had no idea that that was even a consideration. You know, he was just there to win, which I'm sure Buck loved and probably endeared himself even more by hitting over 370 over the last month of the season for the Diamondbacks, mostly as a pinch hitter. But sadly for Harris, but not for us, of course, or most of us listening, uh, he went 0-2 in the NLDS against the Mets, grounding out for the second out of the 10th inning of Game 4 of the NLDS. 
the next batter, I think it was Tony Womack, would end the inning. And two batters into the bottom of the 10th, Todd Pratt would end the game and the series with the famous series-ending walk-off homer that just eluded the glove of Steve Finley, who could not pull a uh, Andy Chavez or Brandon Nimmo out of his hat. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Harris would return to Arizona in 2000, but would then get traded back to the Mets on June 2nd for Bill Pulsifer. Again, these Lenny Harris trades, I mean... I remember Bill Pulsifer, but it's a little shocked that he was still on the team as of 2000. Harris was great again in 2000 for the Mets. This time the numbers would back it up. He hit 304, 381 on base, and a 457 slugging uh, over 76 games and 138 at-bats. Uh, six doubles, three triples, three homers, eight stolen bases, 17 walks, 17 strikeouts, Again, Harris would see time at first, second, third in the outfield, in addition to his 45 pinch-hitting appearances for the 2000 Mets. But he would go hitless in seven at-bats, uh, all pinch-hitting appearances, or games that he entered in a double switch uh, in the Mets' 2000 playoff run uh, in victories against the Giants and the Cardinals, and then the World Series defeat in 2000. Harris came back to the Mets in 2001 and spent a rare, for him, uh, full season with one team and one organization. At least rare during the latter half, two-thirds of his career after he left Cincinnati the second time. In 110 games, he had 135 at-bats, 143 plate appearances. So now when I say Lenny Harris is a pinch hitter, well, he appeared in 95 games as a pinch hitter in the 2001 season, which is a major league record. He is 83 at-bats that year as a pinch hitter, also a major league record. Very fitting because, of course, uh, in the 2001 season, uh, in the final days, Harris would break Major League Baseball's career pinch hit mark, held for a long time by Manny Mota. Mota. As a member of the Mets for the full season in 2001, uh, Harris, of course, was with the team, uh, relevant in timing to when we're recording this, uh, during the famous Piazza home run game in the first game in New York after 9-11. And as a memorable and popular Met from that team, uh, Harris has spoken very beautifully and eloquently about being there for that game and uh, you know, being in New York and his love for playing in New York, um, again, both and things I've seen in SNY, uh, specials on the 9-11 game. He's featured pretty prominently and uh, in interviews that 
I looked at for Howie Rose in preparing for this. Again, he's a, he's a good friend of Piazza's, and he's pretty much one of the first people I remember seeing uh, congratulate Piazza after crossing the plate after that incredible, magical, memorable home run. The Mets, of course, made what started to look like it could be a magical run of their own uh, at the end of the 2001 season, but those hopes got dashed late in September with a couple of losses to the Braves in Atlanta, as happened back in those days, uh, but not these days, I hope. Harris didn't play much and was struggling as a pinch hitter. His average uh, as of September 30th was 205 through the year. But he closed like a champ, needing three pinch hits to break Moda's record in game 158 of the season, a 10-1 Mets loss to the Pirates. Harris pinch hit, Harris pinch hit for pitcher Grant Roberts in the fifth, with the Mets down 5 nothing, and doubled to right off of Bronson Arroyo. Her career pinch hit number 149. In game 160, the next time Harris would get an opportunity to pinch hit, this time an 8-6 loss to the Expos at Shea on October 5th, a game uh, rescheduled you know, because of the games missed in the week after 9-11. Mets were down 1-0 in the 5th, I think. Oh, 8-0, excuse me, uh, when Harris pinch hit and slapped a single over the second baseman's head off of Mark Thurman to officially tie Moda's pinch hitting. Mark with pinch hit number 150. Then in the penultimate game of the season, the Mets were up 4-0 in the sixth inning. Harris came up uh, to pinch hit for Ray Ordonez against the Expos Carl Pavano. Got a 1-2 off-speed pitch, looked like a changeup, and lined it just past the second baseman Jeff Blum for his 151st career pinch hit, uh, making him the all-time career pinch hit King, I guess, uh, might be a strong term for pinch hitting, but in a season marked by sadness in New York and some, you know, not quite met expectations for the Mets, uh, the team rushed out and congratulated Harris on the mark. Um, again, it always seemed like a popular teammate and uh, with a nice little moment with the team surrounding Harris at first base and the Shea crowd giving him a standing ovation for setting the mark. Not a terrible way to go out as a Met, as that would be Harris's last at bat in a Met uniform, and perhaps his most memorable. And not only that, but he'd leave, and a couple of years later pick himself, up, pick himself up a World Series ring. Harris left the Mets in what I always considered to be an unfortunate trade, not so much because of his part in it, although he was a personal favorite, uh, but it saw a couple of fan favorites, Glendon Rush and Benny Agbayani, also leave the team, and the really not-fun-to-watch Jeremy Burnitz come back to the team. I think that trade was in January of '02. Um, you know, the Mets, uh, Steve Phillips, obviously. Any rema- Zeal went out in that trade, too, and I know, always resented Zeal a bit, cause he, mostly just because he wasn't John Olerud, but really any uh, felt like the end of that 99-2000 team. You know, they, they did underachieve in 2001, and they weren't quite the same, but there was that brief magic post-September 11th where it looked like they might catch the also-slumping Braves and do something amazing, but Burnitz came in, you know, Benny Agbayani and all of those, Glendon Rush and those culty uh, 
folk players that just seemed meant to be Mets were gone. Soon Mo Vaughn would be coming in. Just uh, not a fun team to watch. But again, Harris would have a fun end of his career. Uh, although again, I've seen him speak very fondly about his time in New York, and that's one of his favorite places to play. But uh, he'd spend 2002 uh, in Milwaukee. So he'd sign there and spend the full season there, hitting 305 in 197 plate appearances. Uh, he'd go on, move on to the Cubs in 2003 uh, before getting traded from the wrong side of what would be the 2003 NLCS to the right side of it, uh, where he, he wound up getting traded to the Marlins, where he'd be along for the ride in the postseason and earn a World Series ring for himself in his hometown of Miami. Uh, he appeared in two LDS games and three in the LCS, but none in the Marlins 2003 World Series triumph over the Yankees. Harris would stay in Miami for a couple more seasons, a world champion at 38. He would stick with the team, and Joey could still pinch it, uh, hitting a solid 314 in 70 at-bats at age 40, uh, but retired after that 2005 season after 18 years of professional ball at the age of 40. In addition to those single-season marks set with the Mets in 2001, uh, he has the career marks for hits as a pinch hitter. Uh, again, the mark was broken as a Met in 2001. He wound up with 212 uh, career pinch hits as a pinch hitter, so added 62 uh, to his total, 61, 62 after he left the Mets. Also holds career marks for most at-bats as a pinch hitter in his career with 804, and most games as a pinch hitter with 810. At 45, Harris had a heart attack uh, while throwing batting practice as a coach. Uh, he survived it and recovered, um, and he spent most of his time since retirement staying in baseball. He's worked in the Nationals, Dodgers, and Marlins organization as third base coach, bench coach, manager, and various other positions. For his career, Harris recorded a war of 1.7. According to baseball reference, he had 1,055 career hits, so over 1,000. Uh, and so 800 plus non-pinch hit hits um, in 3,924 at-bats. Hit 37 career home runs, had a batting average of 269, an on-base percentage of 318, a slugging percentage of 349 for a career 667 OPS and 80 OPS plus. He also stole 131 bases over his major league career, and again was incredibly versatile uh, in playing so many different positions. Over parts of three seasons with the Mets, Harris appeared in 261 games with the Amazons at 441 at-bats. Uh, nine homers, 39 RBIs, 16 stolen bases, hit 252, slash 252, 305, 372, uh, 677 OPS, 77 OPS plus. His war as a Met, according to baseball reference, negative 0.5. But as an oft-clutch pinch hitter, and with a very memorable record-setting pinch hit in a Mets uniform, Lenny Harris was truly unformidable. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content, and follow Amazon Avenue on all the social medias, and please look for this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. 
Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets.